0: this week's edition of New York Now, we examine the recent ruling on New York's congressional maps, the reactions from elected officials, and its potential impact on elections next year. Then we look into the benefits and challenges that come with teachers using artificial intelligence in classrooms. I'm Chantel Destra, and this is New York Now. Today, the Senate majority... I like help you
1: every single day. Like I've always done and always
0: stand. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Chantal Destra. The drama surrounding New York's congressional maps is nowhere near its end. This week, the state's Court of Appeals ruled the congressional district lines need to be redrawn. These are the maps that were drawn by a special master and used in last year's election cycle after the maps submitted by Democrats were thrown out because of gerrymandering. But now the court has kicked the responsibility of drawing the maps once again to the bipartisan Independent Redistricting Commission. The body will have until February to submit maps to the legislature. The ruling was a big win for Democrats and comes at a time when the party is vying to regain control of the House of Representatives and after Republican wins in 2022 ultimately played a key role in the party gaining control of the chamber. Earlier this year, Governor Kathy Hochul and State Attorney General Letitia James issued a brief calling for the maps used in last year's elections to be thrown out and were among Democrats celebrating the Court of Appeals ruling. Meanwhile, New York Republicans decried the ruling as corrupt. For more on the ruling and what it means for elections next year, we're joined by Vaughn Golden of the New York Post and Zach Williams of Bloomberg Law. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. Now, I wanted to touch on this ruling, of course, but first I wanted to ask, did it come as a surprise or was it something that if you were paying attention to New York state politics, you would have seen this coming from a mile away?
2: Well, I think the ruling was, was expected in favor of the Democrats. And just because the balance of power on the Court of Appeals, the state's highest court, has changed over the past year, you, recall, you might recall the battle over Hector LaSalle.
0: Right. Governor Kathy that. Hochul's <laughs>
2: unsuccessful nomination to lead the court. He was known as a much more moderate jurist. And people are really wondering how he might rule on a court on a case like this. Whereas Rowan Wilson, who's now the chief judge, was actually already on the court and had ruled in Democrats' favor last time around. And this time around, he did as well. And especially with with Caitlin
3: Halligan, too. uh, Hochul's pick to fill Rowan Wilson's uh, vacated associate judge seat. Um, She recused herself. And Mm -hmm. so Rowan Wilson uh, uh, kind of shockingly picked another judge to fill that role, whereas previously that wouldn't be filled unless there was not a quorum on the court. So there were some tea leaves going in for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you brought up Hector LaSalle, right? Who could forget about that? So Hochul, of course, she had a very interesting year last year, filled with a lot of high highs and low lows. Hector LaSalle being one of them. So is this a win for the governor heading into the new year?
2: Well, it's easy to forget, because it seems so long ago that the governor in her first interview as governor in 2021, expressed support for the idea of gerrymandering to help Democrats gain control of the U.S. House. So since then, um, Democrats in New York have lost several seats, um, not least because she kind of underperformed in a gubernatorial campaign in 2022. So now that Democrats have a chance to kind of make up for those mistakes in the past, I would put this as a win in the governor's
0: column. Mm -hmm. Would you agree?
2: I I think it
3: certainly uh, can't hurt Democrats' prospects to have more control over uh, redrawing the congressional districts again.
0: Yeah, and of course, Republicans have come out and denounce this. They are saying it's corrupt politics. Do they have a case or a chance of you know, challenging this in court
3: certainly. Uh, the process moving forward, this will go back to the IRC. They get a chance to send right. it to the legislature. If ultimately the legislature denies two sets of maps this time, um, then it could um, give license for the legislature to draw the maps. And regardless, the Republicans can challenge it in court, uh, even if the Constitution is followed to a T. They can challenge it on um, on the actual substantive grounds of the maps themselves, and that will be in. Interesting to see how the courts handle that. Um, it, it's almost guaranteed, whatever maps come out, uh, that they will be challenged by Republicans in court and the courts will have to
2: hold them up. Something that's gonna be really important to that is how Democrats handle the idea of communities of interest. You know, under the right. Voting Rights Act, of the 1960s, you know, people have a right to be kind of combined into congressional districts with people, you know, based on um, either, you know, racial groups, um, maybe economic groups, you know, whatever it is, communities of interest. So, you know, take Brandon Williams district in central New York. He won it very narrowly. And the idea has popped up to maybe attach, you know, Syracuse is a big part of that district, democratic held city, lots of rural areas, suburban areas from there where Republicans have better chances. But if you add Ithaca and the Southern tier to that college town, very Democratic, maybe Cortland as well, you know, you're taking a race that where Republicans won in 2022 by a few thousand and adding a bunch of young voters, liberal voters. Mm -hmm. Now, you could argue that, you know, Syracuse University, big city, um, or big university in a city, young people, you know, is a community of interest with Ithaca, also a liberal city. So, you know, if they can kind of change things around the margins in ways that make at least logical sense in a courtroom, then I think these maps could be upheld. That said, if they do things where, you know, they just kind of make long trails of land, you know, trying to connect things in strange ways that don't make a lot of sense, Republicans have a better chance to challenge.
3: But there yeah. are a lot of provisions in the 2014 amendments to the state constitution, communities of interest being one of them. And that, that really helps the ability to kind of justify what may look like a, a, a gerrymandered map. Um, but the that, that constitutional provisions also, also allots for Um, uh, racial disparities uh, for um, favoring and not favoring incumbents, favoring one political party over the other. So there are a lot of provisions to the Constitution there. So you can kind of justify it on a lot of different lines.
0: Yeah. And the IRC has until February to produce a new map to the legislature. And there is a lot of fear that it could potentially impact primary elections this e- or next year. Do you see that as a fair? And how would Democrats kind of, you know, not work to do that?
2: I see Democrats, at least in some key races, um, starting to settle on some candidates ahead of time. So I think, you know, Mondaire Jones, a former congressman who's angling to challenge Mike Lawler, the Republican incumbent. Um, you know, it seems like he that he's got an open path to be the nominee, no matter how the district might change around the edges. Um, but that said, you know, just like we've seen before, you know, sudden changes can upend <laughs> everything. And, and yeah. we've already seen like, you know, people that were kind of shoved to the side by the previous, uh, redistricting run. Carolyn Maloney. Right. In Manhattan, mm-hmm. who lost a race to Gerald Nadler. Um, you know, could re-enter politics yeah. if somehow the ROC picks districts, um, and the legislature approves them that, um, you know, kind of just shake things up in ways that, um, you know, we don't see right now, right? Definitely.
3: It it and that hasn't really necessarily stopped folks from running in districts they don't live in. There are a few <laughs> members out there <laughs> who had to move. Yeah. Uh, Brian Higgins was one of them. The district was drawn just over uh, over the line from his house, um, and and a number of number of members. So, yeah. Andrea Jones ran in New York City last right, time, exactly. right? <laughs>
0: yeah, and this is reminding me, of course, of Sean Patrick Maloney. So we're bringing up all these names. Is are you hearing anything from you know their campaigns or people who have worked closely with them to indicate that they might be considering making a political comeback?
3: We we did hear uh, Maloney, I think it was Spectrum New York One, I, right. I forget the reporter's name, who did report that Maloney uh, said if the district is drawn in a way that she could run, that she would run. Um, but otherwise, I think for the most part, everyone's just um, kind of <laughs> circling the wagons, waiting for the maps co- to come out, and uh, we'll just deal with it as, as they do. This, this is politics
2: we're talking about, right. though. I mean, these people right. win popularity contests for a living, and I think a lot of them, uh, you know, especially when they lost their last race and didn't leave Congress on their own terms, you know, <laughs> you know, we deal with these people a lot, you know, they, they want to be in the action, they feel they have something to add. And when political opportunity knocks, like, I think a bunch of them are going to take advantage of it.
3: Yeah. It depends on the district too.
2: Mm-hmm. If if they're drawn into a
3: district that's a lot more competitive, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> maybe they don't want a uh, a really tough race. So it, it could depend on what kind of district they run it, they mm-hmm. end up with too.
0: And we're about a year from elections next year. so. Are New York voters really paying attention to this? Is this top of mind as they're heading to the polls?
3: Really can't not be. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> to know what uh, what district you're you're voting in, right. and uh, there's there's been a lot of conjecture about the the confusion that this instills over everything. I, I remember out being in Ithaca last year when we had simultaneously a a primary and a special election for two different congressional districts, uh, I believe that was last August. Uh, I can't even keep it straight at this point. So absolutely, I, I think it has to be on the, on the minds of voters.
0: Mm-hmm. And if this doesn't go well for Democrats, do you think that it would hinder voters coming out to vote in support of the party?
3: I don't think we saw depressed voter turnout um, in in last year's election. I mean, more than more. Than something that's going
2: to be very different is it's a presidential year. Right. Got Joe Biden on the ballot. Donald mm-hmm. Trump, the ultimate Democratic turnout machine, is likely to be the Republican nominee. I, I think you know what people do here. At this point, is just kind of disorganization, chaos that never helps the 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 party in power, not least the governor, who you know may or may not be able to influence everything, but she's the one at the top. Um, but that said, I think voters are going to engage a lot more when we get closer, when, when a lot more candidates have decided whether they're going to run or not run, when we see more ads, and just generally when the political conversation picks up after the holidays. But, you know, I think Democrats especially are banking on huge turnout in the presidential race. Um, you know, they got abortion on the ballot, no less, as right. well as constitutional amendments. So they're doing everything they can to just kind of, you know, pump voter interest (laughs) into this race after such a disappointing 2022 cycle.
3: But also non-competitive districts uh, don't exactly encourage those politicians to be running ads, to be doing ground game, to be knocking on doors. Uh, So having competitive districts and and kind of all of the everything that follows with that uh, helps
0: too. And you mentioned competitive districts and you also mentioned Syracuse. So are there any other pockets of the state that Democrats could be looking into to redistrict to their benefit,
3: Staten Island Staten. would be on that list. What Starts about Long
0: Island? Is there any chance <laughs> in any world that they'll be able to pull something off in Long Island?
3: I mean, looking at last year and, and Nassau County uh, going red, and mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of red on Long,
2: Long Island these right. days. So I, that, I mean, that said, you know, I believe uh, Republicans picked up what six seats. The five of them were close races, yep. um, you know, Long Island, I believe one of the race far on the East end is, is probably um, going to be tough for Democrats, but you know. A lot can, you know, Long Island, um, however red it has appeared to become in recent cycles, you know, this that was at county levels. You know, congressional races can be, you know, you can get at a bit of Queens, putting in Democratic votes. You can kind of move around the South Shore where a lot of Republican strongholds are, you know, put in places maybe like, um, you know, Hempstead. You know, there's a lot of different options where they could at least maybe make one of those districts competitive. Um, but, you know, I think the best guess is that the Democrats cannot transform all the races into easy Democratic wins. They're going to exactly. have to pick and choose. Brandon Williams, I mentioned Central New York. That's one race where I think they're going to be looking really hard. Mark Molinaro in New York 19 could be someone that could benefit from that, because when you take Republican um, voters out of one place, you got to put them somewhere else. Right. Um, you know, and, I, and Mike Lawler is obviously someone that they're targeting really hard.
0: Right. Well, there's a lot here, so we'll have to continue to check in and hopefully have you back on the show to discuss more. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. And we were speaking with Vaughn Golden of The New York Post and Zach Williams of Bloomberg Law. Now switching gears. As artificial intelligence continues to advance in both development and in use, society is contemplating the benefits of using it in our everyday lives. One area in which that is pertinent is in the classroom. With the launch of ChatGPT, the technology has become more accessible than ever. But questions remain on the benefits and risks of using AI in classrooms. For more on this, producer Catherine Rafferty spoke with educators about how they use AI in their classrooms.
4: ¿Cómo están? ¿Todo bien? Yes. We're going to quickly review the story, make sure that we understood. Was anybody not here last Wednesday? Do you you know Yuriel, right, from the story? Vamos a conocerlo. I have him on the phone. You guys in groups are going to create three questions from Yuriel, for Yuriel, and then we're going to talk to him on the phone. When ChatGPT4 came out with um, this new feature where you can talk to it, you know, verbally, it's not just just text-to-speech, right? You're actually communicating with it. I thought of all these different ways that, you could use it to practice your language skills. One of the ways that you can do that is um, by programming it to be a person
1: In una escala de 1 a 2000, como guapo eres y por qué? Como personaje
3: de una historia, no tengo una apariencia física definida, así que no podría ubicarme
5: en una
4: escala de guapura. How can I make this something that's interactive? How can they interact with the story? And now we have the
0: technology to do it. Dan Edwards has been using ChatGPT to teach Spanish in both his high school and college classrooms since 2022. ChatGPT is a free AI chatbot developed by OpenAI and was released for testing to the general public in November 2022. Unlike previous AI chatbots that only respond based on predetermined prompts or commands, ChatGPT generates more human-like responses. But the machine's learning capabilities and potential uses have prompted concerns over how it could impact human learning. When we started hearing about this,
4: we're singing on TV, having conversations with our colleagues. We're thinking you know, what harm is this gonna do, right? And how can we stop them from using it? And so I was, I came into the school year, like, afraid. But then, you know, as a language teacher, this is something we've been dealing with forever because we have Google Translate, right? So for so many years, we've been just trying to figure out, is this their work, is this not their work? And so I understand um, the fear that we're hearing from teachers in other departments. Why they need to to know how to use it is because I think, you know, number one, we're coming close to a time where everybody's going to be using it, right? And so um, they want to make sure that they're on the same starting level as everybody else.
0: In May, the U.S. Department of Education issued a report called Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Teaching and Learning. The department's report acknowledged the need to address AI in education now, noting that AI may enable achieving educational priorities in better ways at scale and with lower costs. But there is system-level risk and anxiety around the scale of possible unintended or unexpected consequences. In New York, the State Board of Regents adopted the computer science and digital fluency standards in 2020, and they are currently being implemented in schools. The standards require schools to develop curriculum to help prepare students to be safe and productive in an increasingly digital world. The standards include teaching digital fluency, which is the ability to evaluate technologies, transfer understanding to move fluidly between technologies, and create something new with technology. All curriculum decisions are made at the district level. The rapid rise of AI has researchers rushing to comprehend the implications of AI
5: in the classroom for both students and teachers. As we know, AI is becoming so popular. Everybody's talking about AI, but we really don't have a curriculum that we can teach about AI in classrooms.
0: Haisal Bay, assistant professor in the School of Education at UAlbany, is researching how AI can be taught in classrooms. She started this semester at UAlbany as part of their new AI Plus initiative, a holistic approach to integrating teaching and learning about AI across our academic and research programs. Students need to learn how the technology works so they can make informed decisions about how and when to use it, Bay says.
5: But so for this generation's um, media literacy, we call it, is really important. But now we call it AI literacy. So it's about how um, technically you know, we, the students can understand technically how things work and also how to use it but responsibly and with ethical considerations. So that is an AI literacy that we, I am really passionate about research, in, in uh, to research. So media literacy, data re- literacy and uh, AI literacy, they are kind of go hand in hand in hand now because now every media is generated with AI. Educators
0: are getting creative and saving time on tasks with AI such as to create lesson plans, build rubrics, and personalize assignments for students. Kevin Gogler is a professor of Spanish at Marist College. His research is in computer-assisted language learning. He has used ChatGPT4 to host a conversation between students and give real-time feedback to students and help start a conversation in Spanish based on an image. Gogler says ChatGPT is changing his teaching methods and making him reconsider the ways he assesses his students.
1: It, in some ways, it raises the bar. (laughs) You know, one thing we talk about in education is differentiated learning, right, to really meet the students at their individual needs. And this tool is really, I see a lot of potential in being able to do that. It's probably not a valid assessment anymore to just ask them to write an essay in the old way. First, the, the technology I think will shift a lot of those tedious um, tasks you have as a teacher, the, the paperwork part, uh, to be able to just spend more time talking to them like human beings, which is really what education should be about. So I think there is that potential. It's All my assessments now, and this was before AI, COVID, had a lot to do with this as well. But I moved my midterms and finals are are all oral finals. I don't do any written midterms and finals.
0: There are educators who oppose AI technology in the classroom. Nearly half of educators who responded to a recent EdWeek Research Center survey said AI would have a negative or very negative impact on teaching and learning in the next five years. U.S. Department of Education's report cites concern over algorithmic discrimination and systemic unfairness in the learning opportunities or resources recommended to some populations of students. Administrators also have to ensure websites they use in their district comply with federal and state privacy laws, such as the Family Educational Rights Act and Education Law Section 2D in New York. Hazel Bay says there are several ethical considerations for educators and school administrators to consider before using the technology.
5: When you use AI, that means you are collecting a lot of data and you are tracking all the patterns. Then we have to know where does the data go and who has access and who has a right to use that. So there are lots of decisions to be made you know for that data privacy who can read and you know use that data so that data becomes real big big power
0: according to a national poll by common sense media released this spring more than half 58% of students ages 12 to 18 have used chat gpt 85% of students surveyed believe that ai programs will have a positive impact on education Logan norton Lapsey, a senior at Pine Bush High School and student of Dan Edwards' Spanish class, used ChatGPT to draft his college essay after using the tool in class.
1: For me personally, when I was writing my college essay, I went to ChatGPT and plugged in my essay and had it, I just, just pretty much talked to it like a person, having it revise my essay. And it can do things that like other people can't necessarily do for me. And so... When I did that, it gave me connections between topics like, for example, chess and engineering, two completely different topics I would have never saw the connection for. And it gave me that. And I was able to like, you know, flesh it out and really work with it.
0: Nearly a third of college students have used ChatGPT to complete written homework assignments, with 60 percent saying they use the program on more than half of their assignments, according to a study published in January from the online magazine Intelligent. Jacob Gressens, a sophomore at Marist College and student in Kevin Gogler's class, says AI is not doing his learning for him.
4: I can do it myself, and I should do it myself. Like, this is why I'm here at school, is to, like, engage and be educated by people. So, I don't know. I'm hesitant to, like, really incorporate AI into my life. We'll see where it where it goes and see like how much becomes part of like mainstream life.
0: The Center for Reinventing Public Education identified just two states, California and Oregon, that have offered official guidance to school districts on using AI in schools this fall. Another 11 states are in the process of developing guidance. New York is one of them. How policies are rolled out would be up to individual districts. So what would educators say to others who are interested in Chat GPT but wary of the impacts?
1: A lot of people are scared of AI right now for great reasons because a student can go in and it'll just spit out, you know, exactly what they want. But you know, if we can tweak it like these these GPTs, for example. We can get it to interact with the person to optimize the learning and not bypass it by just writing what you know, writing the essay for them or thinking for them.
4: As time passes, as AI becomes more intelligent and as people start to use it more, by not using it, we're putting ourselves behind and we're putting our students behind because they're gonna need to they're gonna need to know how to use it. Um you know, AI learns exponentially, right? And so it's only gonna get more intelligent. It's only going to play more of a role in our lives. Every day we see new programs coming out. And so um, I think that it's it's not only something that can help us in the classroom, but it's something we really need to start implementing so that our students are prepared.
0: For more information on the benefits and challenges of using AI in classrooms, you can visit our website. That's at nynow.org. Now that does it for this episode of New York Now. Thank you for tuning in and see you next week.
5: for
2: New York Now is provided by WNET and by the New York State Education Department.